Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose and for The Bigger Picture today, I'm joined by Mike Indian, political commentator, author of the Groucho Tendency blog. Um, Mike, it's, it's not very long till Christmas. I'm, I've, oh. I've got my Christmas presents sorted. I've asked my kids to buy me this new um, colouring book called uh, Where's Rishi? Uh, <laughs> very, very popular. Uh, <laughs> So we have a new prime minister, but people have been saying, where on earth is he? Uh, well, it makes you realise that Boris, I mean, was never invisible or very rarely invisible. Um, but he's not popping up very often, is he? No, he's not. But I think, to be fair to the prime minister, he's he's a man who's used to being out of the media spotlight in the Treasury. And it seems funny for someone who actually craves it so much, but he mm. has his head down working a lot of things. But he, I think he, he, this is something where Liz Trust fell down, is that being Prime Minister, you have to be more visible, you have to be present, people look to see where you are. And mm. obviously the first thing in any crisis, no matter what part of government it is, no matter how obscure the area of responsibility or the ministerial portfolio or the quango that leads on it, the um, Mr Sunak is realising that people look to him for an answer now. And, and I have to say, actually, when he does make an appearance, such as the Prime Minister's questions, he does come across as someone who's across the detail. He has that has what Blair called the, the plastic fantastic. Mm. For But no, the, 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 he is remarkably, I think somebody, I was, I was watching Steve Richards' um, podcast recording on Monday, and he made the point, and I think a very fair one, that, Mr Sunak hasn't really stamped his authority on the Conservative Party since his uh, election as leader or coronation as leader at the end of an extraordinary year. But that isn't to say that the government isn't taking a series of rather remarkable and quite impactful policy decisions at the moment. And I think we have to acknowledge that although Mr Sunak has hasn't been very visible he has if, if you read behind the scenes and you know the sunday times is tim shipman is always worth this for those behind the scenes accounts he is focusing on some big policy issues at the moment and that mm. is probably i would say a welcome change from his two immediate predecessors who didn't who didn't care and then and then all, all made decisions that were arguably disastrous for the british economy or yeah, near fatal well you're gonna to have to tell us about this because i'm um, certainly you know for many people i mean we've got inflation we've got appalling energy costs we've got strikes in virtually every area of the public sector or the pseudo public um sector um so w- what sort of policy are they are they making and, and will it actually be beneficial well let's look at the let's look first of all at the strikes so we're heading for waves of industrial mm. action here across not just the railways but medical staff we've seen lawyers teachers raw mail something that has, isn't really hasn't really been seen since the late 70s i would argue mm. in terms and, and, and obviously that that the causes of it are not 
mysterious at all. It's the it's the it's the cost of living. It's the inflation. Uh, people are you know, public public workers are public sector workers are looking to, after years of pay restraint, particularly in areas like civil servants and, and nurses, are looking to get what they see as their fair dues. And obviously, the, the withdrawal of labour is a is a is an integral step in this and we look at the you know nurses striking for the first time in their history and they've confirmed there will be industrial action coordinated but obviously hopefully maintaining emergency care across the nhs Mm. the government's response to this has been to weigh up uh, tougher legislation to reduce the impact of industrial action and the prime minister is apparently hasn't made any decisions yet he's looking to bring forward these laws as soon as possible Realistically, the kind of things that could be in the frame here are extending existing plans for what's known as minimum service agreements across public transport into things including uh, emergency services. Now, for those people that don't uh, know what this means, it basically means that if strikes were to happen, they would impose a legal minimum, a legal floor on how much of a service could still be maintained. And for many people, this might seem to be a profoundly good. So we are recording this before the waves of rail strikes take place. There are next week. There's due to be two 48-hour blocks that will affect commuters across the country, not just in the southeast. But of course, there are you know people that rely on the railways to get to work across England as well. And of course, there might be many people as well who don't just use trains, but obviously rely on buses as well. And Obviously, we have to accept that remote working is by no means the norm for for a lot of people, and, it, it, and most people have gone back to work, even if public passenger levels are lower than they were pre-pandemic. So that's one possibility the government could look at. However, the prime minister really has to consider what, how he is spending his time, and uh, I think when he came in and. We had the autumn. We had the autumn statement, and he was working with Jeremy Hunt, hand in glove, to draft that. That was understandable. I think he he was he was he 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 won the Conservative Party leadership in Downing Street off the back of the disastrous mini budget. He's now turned his attention to the uh, the case of apparently the other big thing is illegal migration, the, the small boats. We had a report published at the weekend which had some fairly. Uh, strong recommendations in it. Uh, by this, I mean recommendations that maybe people would find un- unpalatable, such as the indefinite detention of his asylum seekers from a right-wing think tank, mm-hmm. the Centre for Policy Studies, that was endorsed broadly by the Home Secretary, who is known, Sir Robert Braveman, who's very known to have a tough line with immigration as well. But Mr. Sunak cannot spend his time wandering around Whitehall, sticking his nose into, into each of the main problems. I think he has to, at some point, recognise that there are certain things that might benefit from his attention, for him setting a very broad stroke pronouncement on it rather than working out the policy detail which happened in the Treasury. And this, and this is the disadvantage of having chancellors as, who become prime ministers. And look at Gordon Brown here. They, they get yes. another great detail obsessive, funnily enough, you saw it this week with the commission on um, decentralisation that he completed for Labour. Now, I'm not saying that a prime minister that isn't across policy detail is a bad thing. I think it's about balancing that, though. And I think whilst I, 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 I admire a leader who has a great 
grasp of detail, which I think Mr. Sunak does, and then has the balance of performance. I think he needs to work on his communication. I think he needs to work on making himself visible. What he has done, and I think this is probably a good thing in the sense that he has given his cabinet space in this in this area to operate, particularly the Transport Secretary, Mark Harper, has been very, very prominent in negotiating with the leaders of the main rail unions, not least of all uh, Mick Lynch at the RMT. And of course, we're seeing policy made, decisions made in other areas as well. And I think the other thing Mr. Selleck is also learning is, is smart party management as well. And I think this, this probably connects into our second point about the decisions and the apparent U-turns the government has made on a couple of areas, including onshore wind being one of them as well, and also scrapping the house building targets. And There's the and, schools and, bill as well, isn't there? And the schools bill. So the, and sticking, and also things like the online safety bill as well. The, the Prime Minister is looking at what were the most contentious bits of the, uh, the previous agenda that he inherited from Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. And he has decided, so, so for example, the definition of harmful but legal content is being dropped from the online safety bill. Mm. Uh, what I think is probably one of the, the central house building targets, again, not necessarily a welcome U-turn, but it's one in which I think shows the Prime Minister reading the room of the Conservative Parliamentary but, but Party. But somebody has to tackle, I mean, there are several things. I mean, the NHS is another really big one that needs to be tackled at sunset. We've discussed this before. But house building, I mean, we are not building enough houses. No. Everybody recognises it, but nobody wants the houses to be built anywhere near them. But somebody at some stage has got to do this. I mean, eventually, it's going to lead to civil disorder, surely. People cannot find places to live. No, and I think this is... Again, the Conservatives have to take responsibility for this. They've been in government now for mm. 12. They're into, they're into the 13th year. Uh, next year, they'll be in this government as long as Labour was in office. And, and look, let, let's, be, let's, be, let's be fair to both parties here. They both, they've both dropped the ball on this. Their house building target hasn't been met since the 1970s. They're 300,000 homes a year. It's largely become... Which is now massively inadequate as well, of course. Yes. It's been, it's been dropped because of... Uh, protests from sort of the nimbyish wing of the Conservative Party. The Prime Minister, however, I think has made a very smart decision in another area, which I think actually he has dropped the long-held ban on onshore wind, which if we are going to have better energy security in this country, a better energy mix, effectively ruling out onshore wind farms is a very silly thing to do. And actually the, the fact that he's committed to a consultation on this shows, I think, that he is serious about addressing the UK's energy security and making the most of our the sources that we have in abundance here, for example, including including wind energy. And, and, and again, I think that's, that's another win over the NIMBY lobby. Others may question the decision, say, Mike, of Michael Gove that's been made, as we record this today, to announce the first new coal mine uh, in the UK in decades uh, for coking coal for steel production as well. But again, you could argue in terms of energy security, is that a necessary step? And, it, and I think one gets the impression that Mr. Sunak is probably, like Keir Starmer, an excellent strategic thinker. I think he's quite prepared to look at policy issues. And I think he and Starmer probably think in similar ways about these things, about how, how to best manoeuvre it. What what we're needing, I think, and this, this will probably be reflected, I think, in the next election, is somebody to, to take a step back and take a bigger view of where the Conservatives are now and what that offering for that fifth term, which Mr. Sunak will hopefully be if he, if he gets his way Running for in arguably has just started running, and I think you know that part of that means being less reactionary to events, Uh, but also I think that also part of it means taking what he has started to do and looking at not being tied by that 2019 manifesto 
and moving forward on a number of areas. But there are there are areas, for example, which sound small, but the government really should be looking at. So, for example, the modern transport bill, which has been waiting for a while now, which is nothing massively contentious. It was about creating a new guiding mine for the railways. It was about um, legislating on things like e-scooters. Now, this is a good example of how the country, while the government sits there twiddling its thumbs or reacting to self-inflicted mm. turmoil, the, the society is moving on. And you, you, I think you summed it up best. It's epitomised best by the problems that we see in lack of house building, the fact that you know social housing has again fallen, mm. the fact that we see... The NHS is, you know, the government is committing to a long-term workforce plan, but whether that will be backed up by money or not, that mm. remains to be seen. And this is probably the space where Labour can come in. If Labour, realistically, solutions that require a lot of money are not going to be on the table for the next few years because of the the spending plans that the government mm. has committed to. And it might be if the economy improves and the balance of payments comes down and we get borrowing falling sooner than we thought, then there is more headroom. If, don't forget, there's only about 9 billion headroom by the end of, which is, which is nothing really. There's, there's, there's very little wiggle room in those spending plans. Mm. But there, there is room, I'd argue, for tactical interventions. And, and I think looking at see how government can be an active agent for change in people's lives and, and that will necessitate spending choices and things like that but it will also look at how society has changed and moved on in the last 12 years and even since 2019 so the pandemic i would say is one of those moments that whilst we may return to or have returned or are returning depending on how mm. you define it to take choose your tense of verb as you as you wish while we have returned to something which we might define as normality if we look here in london for example over one in ten people are not using the tube anymore the passenger revenues are down so does that necessitate more public support for urban transport in than they used to be particularly in rural areas you know does that mean that the government still has to ensure that bus routes are subsidized does that mean that we the government has to accept that although it has difficult decisions to make that there have to be more subsidies paid yeah. out particularly you know obviously i'm i'm a, I'm a londoner i'm i'm you know i want tfl to be a functioning organization yes but but it does need some form of subsidy to keep it going I would say. but also it, it means looking at the bigger decisions as well infrastructure in the north as well so if sunak wanted to be smart i would say he would look at committing some money to a big rail infrastructure investment plan in the north of england now he claims yeah, rather than the 100 industry. billion plus of course that they're spending on HS. Exactly. Mike, it's probably a good moment for us to take a, 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 a breather. I'm sure you certainly need it. Hang on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rhodes. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio. I'm in conversation with political commentator Mike Indian. Uh, Mike almost, I mean, I pass, almost passed me by, but we've had a by-election. Uh, of which we have. I saw remarkably 
little written. Um, and of course, what? the Conservatives romped home. Everybody was delighted with them. I don't think. <laughs> Tell us what happened. Well, well this, part, this is part of a very interesting phenomenon in uh, Parliament. So you, you may remember uh, a few years ago, there was a series, this is 2018-19, there was a series of revelations that came out around the conduct of members of Parliament. Now, people might be thinking, oh God, what now? Well, I'm talking specifically about the Pestminster uh, scandals, which related to bullying and sexual harassment and the yes. conduct of members. Now, now the pandemic has receded, the stories about this have begun to emerge now. And this is part of the reason why, as of we record this today, there are a number of members of Parliament who are sitting in Parliament without the whip. Now, obviously, some of these reasons we can't conject, but the, it has been a, a central reason behind some, some the whip being withdrawn. There is a prominent Conservative MP who hasn't been named in the media that's being investigated on a charge of rape at the moment. Um, we don't know who that is, and it would be entirely inappropriate mm. to uh, speculate about that. But there have been uh, there was a, the by-election in question in Chester rose because the former MP Chris Masson had uh, complaints raised against him by a parliamentary committee about his allegations of his uh, conduct. Again, these weren't criminal complaints; they were internal complaints. But he was going to be suspended from Parliament. Uh, he took the decision to stand out from his seat. He says to clear his name, and hopefully that process will bring to light the actual findings of it. But there was sufficient evidence for him to feel that he would be a distraction if he remained in his seat and he could he couldn't that he couldn't do so so it, interestingly the reason this by-election is quite interesting because it's a seat that marginally swung to the tories earlier on in the public labor then won it back again and the reason that these, these are important is that we are still very much in this nascent phase of the Labour Party looking like a government in waiting. This is this is something that is months, not years old. I mean, if you look at, there's a very very good uh, table on Twitter from the former BBC political research head David Cowling, who is always worth following. I don't think he's on Twitter, but sometimes his stuff makes its way onto that platform, and hopefully that you know, in between Elon Musk's questionable tweets about whatever's going on with Kanye West or something like that. But the um, this showed the, the polling performance over the last few years and really actually showed the damage that Partygate had done. Because until about a year ago, Labour and the Tories were pretty much neck and neck. And then Partygate stories started to break. Mm. Labour's polling started to widen up to about 10 points. Then trust happened. And then that effectively exploded that lead up to about, well, up to 20 points now. It tends to be the lowest, 20, 24 points. Someone said that Truss added about 12 points to the polling leads, but the Tories were already starting to lag because of Johnson. So Starmer is already, is, this idea that Labour was sort of a viable alternative has only really become it because the Tories have been just so imploding over the last 12 months. And this lead may have not stayed. But the reason that by-election victories matter, and of course they are very much of the moment, is that although it was Labour was retaining the seat, if Labour wins a by-election, they start to look like winners. And they got a very comfortable majority in this as well. Now, I, I would I would caution against reading anything too much into this specific by-election. Mm -hmm. But don't forget that there was a by-election held in Wakefield around a similar set of circumstances where the MP in question had to stand down because of allegations and then later criminal uh, um, um, proof was brought about their conduct with, with young men. And uh, Labour won that seat. And although and the Conservatives actually did very badly in that by-election, so for Labour, there was, a, there was the same kind of reputational risk here 
and there are you know there are this this, this underlines i think the need for political reform which kissed armor and gordon brown talked about earlier in the week and how we can best address the the fact that mps basically have are effectively their own arbiter about whether or not they they have to resign their jobs under very unless it's under a very specific circumstance but this narrative of Keir Starmer's Labour Party as being winners, I would argue, is bolstered by by-election wins. And there are a few more coming up down the line. And I think that the more Labour looks like they can win these seats or certainly hold them and increase their majorities, the more confident Starmer looks. He, he, he gave a speech earlier this week, a um, major speech on his vision for decentralisation. And for me, I think this, this, this has probably answered a question that's been in the back of my mind for quite a while now about what is Labour's kind of pitch to the public? And I, I, I think I can probably share this with you. It's probably an outrageous thought. But the idea is that Starmer's, Starmer's entire pitch, bearing mind off the back of this by-election, win an increased majority, double-digit poll lead. You know, he's been courted by business leaders. Now, he's very much been sort of treated in some ways that like Blair was in the run-up to mm. But mind you, it's that the mountain to climb is a lot steeper. His whole pitch was about giving people back control. Now, of course, the, the slogan, take back control, was a big... Point in the EU referendum, I would argue that Labour needs to seize that mantle in the next election. I would say that in the absence of being able to spend a lot of money, they can argue that actually their devolution and decentralization agenda will help empower the nations and regions of this country in such a way that people will feel like they've got more control over their lives, will feel that they are not looking to Westminster as much. Now, it's a big and bold move. And I would say that if Starmer wants to park his tanks very firmly on the Conservatives' lawn, he can also use this as cover about making the UK's role outside of the European Union work better as well. It, it's not likely to be taken up, but I think if he did do it, it would be a bold, audacious, very brave move for the Labour leaders to, to do. Uh, Mike, we've only got a, a few minutes um, left. Um, we ought to uh, recognise the fact that the um, SNP have a, a new leader in Westminster and not somebody that um, uh, Nicola Sturgeon necessarily wanted to see. No, and of course we discussed a big a couple of weeks ago the, the impact of the, the Supreme Court case around whether or not a second independence referendum could be called unilaterally by the Scottish Parliament. Obviously mm. it couldn't. It's constitutional matters are a reserved issue. Uh, the reason this matters is that the SNP are still, they are... Scotland is effectively a one-party state, as is Wales, although I'd argue that you know Welsh Labourers are better at opening themselves up to cooperation agreements. The SNP have for a long time been under the salmon Sturgeon axis, but Nicola Sturgeon is no longer the new kid on the block. She's actually, by a, some considerable way, the most experienced uh, leader of a government and a political party in this country. She's seen off, well... David Cameron, Theresa May. She's seen off five UK prime ministers now. And Mark Drakeford. And there's no, there's no comparison on the divorce. She is by far and away the most experienced uh, elected political leader in this country. And one of the considerable ability. But the longer the SNP go without being able to hold independence, the, 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 the harder it is for her to hold. And she has the same problems that Nigel Farage does with the single issue party, that they need this referendum. And the cracks have started to show in the Westminster group that her, her close ally, Ian Blackford, was removed by an apparent internal coup by the Aberdeen South MP, Stephen Flynn. And the MPs instead have elected uh, Stephen Flynn and, and the, the SNP MP, Mari Black, as his new deputy. And this, I think, is the first sign of, sign of a divergence between the SNP uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, in government in Scotland and the SNP group in Westminster. And the key thing is that the the bar that Nicola Sturgeon has set for that second referendum is effectively winning a majority of the votes cast in Scotland at that next general election as a sort of de facto referendum. And of course, the person who will be leading the Westminster campaign, who will have a will have a considerable mandate if that is successful, will be Stephen Flynn. Now, Nicola Sturgeon has effectively lost control of the person who will be overseeing a key, her key metric. Mm-hmm. And if Mr. Flynn judges that his party's performance is strong enough, he can then put pressure internally on Nicola Sturgeon to have that referendum. She is a more cautious incrementalist approach. Mr. Flynn is not. He is mm-hmm. far more rambunctious in his calls for independence. So as ever, the SNP could be posing the biggest threat to themselves. Scottish Labour have begun to edge back in front of the Tories as well. A good credit there to Anna Sawa, who's doing a lot of work there because Douglas Ross is not performing as well as it is. But Nicola Sturgeon's position is not as unassailable as it is. And I would be surprised if she decides to fight the next Scottish Parliament election. I think she will probably look to stand down before then. And then, of course, the question becomes, who takes over? There is no obvious successor. And that is probably the biggest threat to Scottish independence is that sort of factional infighting, which the unionist parties can Mm -hmm. draw some comfort from. Mike, thank you very much. Fascinating. Yes, you can't really imagine the SNP without her now, can you? Extraordinary. Yeah. Right. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's Mike Indian, political commentator, of course, author of the Groucho Tendency blog. Mike will be back talking about the bigger picture with me again in a fortnight's time. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.